Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with Moshe Zioni, who is the VP of Security Research at Apiro. And Apiro is a leader in cloud native application security. They've just um, released some research relating to contextual secrets uh, in private repositories, talking about some of the you know, vulnerabilities and issues with private re repositories versus public re repositories. We're going to talk to Moshe about that and some other topics. But first, as always, we want to welcome Moshe. Moshe, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. It's my pleasure. Uh, we just had a short discussion uh, prior to kicking this conversation off, and um, you mentioned that you're from Israel. Um, are you in Israel right now? Yeah, I am at Herzliya uh, at, uh, at home. Okay, I was going to ask you, what time is it there? Because for me, I'm in Utah, and it's uh, it's about noon. So <laughs> you must be late evening for you? Uh, yeah, around nine. Yeah. Well, Thank you again. Thank you again for um, for staying up late and um, accommodating my schedule. So this is uh, really nice. Moshe, um, you know, you've um, you've just done this research and I, I'd like to get into the results of, you know, what you found. But maybe you can kind of set the um, set the stage by explaining, you know, what are contextual secrets um and and then also what is you know the difference obviously between private and public repositories sure absolutely um so the starting point is to look at uh the ecosystem of develop developers and how software uh is being developed uh or developed is is being developed in all, all over the software industry uh, mainly introducing new code by developers all around the organizations that are developing software now once you get to the, to the ecosystem, part of it is uh, is some methods of uh, faster development, and and even without that, which is called agile development. But without that, you have developers that are entering, or what is called in terminology, committing code to different repositories, or think of it as, as application code. And every new commit can present new vulnerabilities and new weaknesses and new threats. Um, on the code itself, because we are human, all humans do, does, do any kind of mistakes and bugs, and uh, and secrets are no different. Secrets, in general, the term is any kind of token or password or key that can be presented hard-coded into the code in some way or form. I won't get into too much detail about how it's being presented, but you can think of it about as an API token or a password. This is the easiest way to look at it. And Mostly by mistake or even some recklessness, uh, secrets are introduced into code. Um, and when once it is it introduced into, into the code software or the software repository, this is a, a whole new ballgame because once it's up there, everyone can see there uh, that, or at least everyone in, in, the, in the organization. And and by that, it presents a new threat. Attackers can attack the code, the code bases, which is which are residing in multiple stages within the actual software ecosystem. And even by mistake, just last week, there was a software engineer in China that uh, infamously uh, copy-pasted a code snippet uh, on a, or to, from his code bases to a technical forum 
And in this code snippet, which, which, which was very small, like maybe 10 lines of code, one of those 10 lines were including the hard-coded token of an API, a service that uh, this company uses, or specifically some municipality within China, which led to a whole uh, uh, plethora of attacks on, the, on these kind of services uh, and specific service that he introduced and using utilizing this secret. Uh, which led to uh, a huge leak of information uh, of uh, Chinese um, uh, in China, uh, personal information, uh, I think also uh, credit card information and transactions, uh, which was less than, less than um, uh, of course, uh, less than perfect for th those kind of individuals that weren't part of this kind of engagement. And all of this because of a very small mistake by an engineer that just wanted to get some help on his code snippet from a forum. So so before you go much further, can I ask then, not being a coder myself, is a best practice to not include any hard-coded secrets in uh, your code when you're publishing it to a repository? And if so, um, how, how do you get around that? I mean, if you're looking at it from app security or de secure DevOps, what's the what's the best practice there? That, that's a great question. Uh, to really understand it is, is it, the simple answer to your question is yes. Hard-coded secrets should alert you that there is uh, some way of doing it better. Uh, but first of all, not all secrets are equal. Some of them can be uh, audited. Let's say you have to use this uh, kind of uh, secret code, but the secret is not that important because it doesn't give you any kind of power. Or maybe you can you accept the risk of having this secret but this this is not the majority the, the majority of secrets can be very harmful for you um uh, while once utilized by by an adversary and the way around that to your question is to use a much more secure way of um, uh, transmitting this kind of uh, secrets uh, over the line or uh, in storage uh, by utilizing some other technologies like what is called vaults which is a technology that lets you use this kind of uh, uh, secrets, but without presenting them into the code, but to use some kind of um, uh, some other instrument within, within the environment that can secure the actual um, uh, secrets way better than the code can. Uh, and by that, you, you present uh, a level of uh, security to those kind of secrets. Uh, I hope that this answers your question pretty on the shortest answer I can get. Absolutely. So, okay. So, going back then to um, the research, why don't you continue on? I mean, you kind of explained what secrets are and you know why it's important to obviously protect them, and and it's probably not a good idea to start publishing snippets of code in public forums asking for help if you've got some kind of hard coded secret in it. Um, but why don't you continue on with um, the findings of your research? Uh, yeah, uh, so the research focused, uh, we focus on the research on organizations. We are very interested to know how developers behave and how code behaves. There is some kind of evolution of code and we build elucidate upon some research that we are going to do. So we focus on organizations, meaning that most organizations keeping their actual repository secret. But this is an obscurity uh, or what is called security by obscurity. Once you have this code committed, it's up there, it's journaled somewhere, the actual uh, Git servers, which are the, the ones that are keeping track of all of those, those code snippets going into the software. Uh, they never forget unless you actually delete the, some, some data, but it's 
very, very rare to see Git servers being deleted, even for this kind of remediation. So in any case, we've we've been focusing our um, our lasers on uh, different organizations uh, and around um, around two million commits uh, from all of those organizations altogether over multiple years. Uh, and by that, we received a lot of information of how secrets are behaving or how developers introducing secrets into code that is called private repositories, that it's not intended to be shown to the world, but of course, any kind of internal threat, and there are a lot of internal threats to organizations, um, uh, can look at this code pretty easily, usually, um, which is way different than other reports that we've seen that we've been focusing very, very heavily on open source code, meaning, meaning public repositories, uh, think GitHub, for example, which you have, uh, there is a visibility layer for GitHub for, for the public repositories, and there are uh, many, many repositories that are actually private that you won't see unless you are part of an organization that is related and you have this kind of permissions to look at those private repositories. And this is why it's interesting. We, we, we believe and proved, by the way, uh, that this uh, kind of private repositories, because of this security by obscurity belief and uh, some, uh, some, as I said, developers that are using this kind of code snippets as well, uh, and entering those kind of commits into the system will be much different in terms of patterns than what we see in open source software and open source repositories. Well, I, and I'm looking at some of the findings of your, um, your research. It said, you know, one of the findings was that eight times the number of exposed secrets in private repositories than public repositories. You've kind of explained um, one of the issues with private repositories. But let's look at the other side. Why are public repositories or open source repositories um, more secure? Uh, I won't use the word more secure, but they are, they are less prone uh, to see secrets in than in uh, private repositories. There are a lot you, of- You sound like my attorney. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I wasn't trying to be evasive, I, I'm saying. Yeah. Or, or legislative to any level. I'm saying this This is because open source public repositories have their own problems. Uh, but secrets, uh, as, as, we sh as we showed in the research, um, is much bigger of a problem in private repositories. So, but on the contrary, private repositories are, uh, are usually uh, much more audited and monitored by professionals and not just by the public eyes that are looking at public public source repositories. And there are much more public source repositories that are just um, uh, up there for no good reason. Uh, there is uh, very low maintenance. No one is looking at them. Maybe it's not. It's it's maybe it's some tests. Maybe it's uh, some uh, project for from uh, uh, for the university. So there are many many other. Uh, the distribution of, I would say, important repositories on open source is much less severe uh, than on private repositories that are usually very important to organization and, and contain high impact to the actual organizations once they are released or exposed to the public. And one of them, as said, are the secrets that, as you've, uh, you've quoted uh, uh, correctly, there are eight times more exposed secrets on private repositories that we've seen on public ones. Sorry, and, I, and I'm still not um, understanding, though, what makes public repositories better at or less likely to expose 
secrets? Oh, so, so there are maybe uh, two explanations to this kind of phenomenon. Uh, one is the technological uh, explanation, and the second one is the psycholo psychological explanation. Uh, the, the technical explanation is that, or, or correlation, I would say, is that the fact that uh, organizations are using more and more uh, methods and services by third parties, using secrets with intention of, uh, of delivering uh, uh, software uh, at speed. So there is a necessity of using more and more secrets in private repositories. So, so I would say this is the technical reason of why you should see more secrets um, uh, in private repositories. The other one is psychological. Uh, if you are developing software uh, for on a, an organization, you, won't, you wouldn't think to yourself that someone else outside of the organization is going to see that. So you, you, you have this kind of false belief that because it's private, you can be much more lax with, uh, I won't say security practices, but, but to be a bit more reckless about using this kind of efforts. And if you have something, you would say to yourself, okay, that, that's okay for now. I would see it in a week and then I will update the code and it will, it will be better. So there is some kind of an educational curve uh, to cover in organizations to make this false belief gone because it's, it's as I said, it's just false. Uh, the, 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 we, and we have multiple um, uh, sightings of that. Even from the past year, uh, around December, we had the Twitch leak. Twitch is a streaming service, the biggest one in gaming. And the streaming service was the the software of the streaming service was leaked to the internet, and years of uh, of private repositories commits uh, and and um, uh, and developer behavior was uh, leaked on online, uh, a couple of gigabytes of code. And now on this you will you will also see this is this is kind of some kind of a pattern. Someone will put something there and will say in a week and a few days I will update. But as I said, Git never forgets. So mm -hmm. because it was it was uh, it was delivered in the Git Git uh, method, um, you can see this kind of transaction over time, and you can see those secrets. Even if someone said to us to to, to themselves, uh, "It's okay, we'll fix that. This is something that uh, is uh, um, is just an intermediate solution, and now we are going to present it, and maybe they will present it, maybe not." Uh, so this is the psychological part of the of the why or correlation to this kind of phenomena. Excellent. And again, I, I'm a little slow on the uptake, but if I'm hearing you correctly, essentially, there are probably more secrets in private repositories because people feel that they are safer than public repositories. So they're more likelihood to post these secrets. And and so the number that that there are eight times the number of exposed secrets could also imply that there's just eight times the number or whatever the times the number of of secrets in private repositories is am i getting that correctly yeah yeah absolutely exactly that okay so let's go back now and and let's just say that you're advising a a, a dev team okay on on security and specifically on this topic in terms of secrets what what are you going to advise them? Um, they say, hey, you know, we're using a private uh, repository. Obviously, they know that there are public repositories out there. But like, what kind of conversation are you going to have with them in terms of, you know, either either you're going to stick with the the private and and here's some things that you should do, or you should look at a different solution. What's the conversation you would have with them? Um, I, I think that's uh, again a very good question. Uh, I, it's important to start with the basics. 
Uh, and the basics, uh, in my opinion, are twofold. One is the case of education. Uh, many developers, as, as we also showed um, on the report, many, much more of those secrets uh, were exposed by um, uh, the new guy. Some developer that, that, that have been on with the organization just for a few months, maybe uh, uh, it's a seasoned uh, engineer, but uh, they moved to this new project just recently, and they are less aware of the surrounding and the education needed for this kind of development. Um, so, first of all, in terms of education, I would say to be uh, uh, to acknowledge this, the secrets problem and why it's such a problem and what can be seen as something very mundane can be very, very dangerous. The implications of, of several secrets, uh, uh, maybe scenarios and maybe some history about that. So the education part is very, very important to be educated about what are secrets, what secrets are and what kind of impact of those kind of secrets in code can influence, uh, can project on the in the industry, on the on the organization, and even sometimes on the individual. Uh, so this is one. The second one is to be uh, to acknowledge what kind of solutions there are, or because the next question will be, okay, so what what am I doing now? I have to use those secrets somehow, but I understand that I can't I can't commit those secrets into code. So you have to 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 pay time for the solution itself, and the solution, as I said before, is using other technologies in order to encapsulate and encrypt um, uh, the actual secrets within a boundary that won't be visible into the code itself, um, uh, not for someone with a pair of eyes, but will need some kind of uh, advanced technology like, like vaults and like encryption schemes um, presented into the code so it won't be visible as a hard-coded token. I hope that that makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because when we look at the biggest threat vector, you know, just broadly speaking, related to cybersecurity, it's the the human element, right? And you know, if we talk about business email compromise, any kind of phishing campaign, uh, it's 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 the weak link is always you know people, and but you know, I always kind of sometimes, obviously wrongly, but assumed that the higher up the food chain in terms of the you know the the up the development chain chain that these solutions would be more technical but education it's just it's creating awareness regardless of where you're at in the organization where you're at in the supply chain you know even if you're just um you know writing code as is the case of the uh, the chinese developer that you mentioned earlier who inadvertently you know he, he was looking for some help posted some code on a on a public repository or a form and um and didn't think about the secrets there right and, and obviously if if somebody had spoken to him before and saying hey you know you can do this um, you can ask for help, but you got to make sure <laughs> you're not you're not posting um, these secrets. And and so I think that's that's hugely important. And then uh, of course that there is a, a, a technology piece as well. Um, but they they both go hand in hand. Awesome. Um, let me let me jump jump tracks here for a second. Can you tell us a little bit about what um, Apiro does? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so Apiro, uh, we are a startup. Uh, we are focusing on application security and cloud-native applications um, all along the supply chain uh, of the secure development lifecycle. Uh, now, this is a very big term, and I'm going to just build up a bit uh, for for understanding what it means. Uh, so this is a, a new realm of um, agile development and cloud-native development. Um, and by that, we see a rapid change in the way software is being written. 
Um, and by that, there is a um, there are multiple ways of of developing the software, and also we see an increase of using dependencies, using other services, third parties, and the the whole this kind of development lifecycle is something that is changing uh, every day. Uh, now, the solution, the, the things we are trying to solve um, and solving um, to, uh, to the best extent I know of is the way that developers and application security professionals can have better visibility about what is happening right now in terms of code commits um, and also uh, what is happening all, uh, all along of the actual life cycle from writing the code into the integration of the code and build of the, building of the code into the, the deployment itself. And altogether, through this kind of life cycle, you would see many, many multiple problems that, that we are solving. Like, for example, application security professionals are sparse. We don't see them, uh, we, we don't have too many of them in, in, into organizations. Uh, the latest report showed uh, for, for the, uh, the best organizations have uh, maybe 200 to 1 ratio from engineers to uh, application security professional uh, professionals. Does that mean basically that professionals are overwhelmed, uh, AppSec professionals are overwhelmed by the number of commits of code, by developers, and all of those tasks that we just discussed, education and technology, te technological uh, awareness um, is being on, on the shoulders of those kind of, kind of professionals to be delivering. And of course, this is impossible. No one can no one can look at all of those commits all the time and review them. There is a security code security code review processes uh, just being omitted because there are not enough capacity to do so. And and there are tooling, there are some some different tools to be able to at least home on those kind of vulnerabilities and weaknesses in code commits, but the, these are very very noisy. They are maybe good in what what they are doing, but noisy means there are a lot of false alarms on those kind of vulnerabilities that, that manual analysis need to be uh, weeding those kind of uh, real vulnerabilities from all of those alerts. Now, to combat that, we have this kind of contextual engine that understands code, understands developers, and we can contextually enhance this kind of code snippets. And by this kind of enhancements, we, it's very, very easy to see in a single pane of glass what kind of risks the, the commits are, are having, and by that, have a prioritized list of what to go uh, through and, of course, automate all of those kind of um, uh, instances and workflows uh, very easily within the same uh, solution. So all of that together is a peer. We are here to defend cloud native application security uh, lifecycle throughout the supply chain by those kind of interjections, if it's by the actual commits and what is called PRs, uh, by the repository monitoring, by the supply chain itself, dependencies, if this is uh, the observability of different inventory items within uh, the code, because as I said, we are parsing the code, we are understanding it, so we can build uh, a whole map of the application, application graphs, we can connect to the Kubernetes cluster. So we have this kind of very rich contextual knowledge about your software, not just the code itself, not just uh, bytes and, and lines of code but also the contextual, the breadth of the, the application itself. And by that, we are encompassing all of those insights into one system. Excellent. And so walk me through like um, a day in the life or the use case. Is it something where um, it's, it's taking a look at the code and comparing it with a database of known vulnerabil vulnerabilities? 
I think I can say that correctly. Um, or is it, I mean, is it something that's powered by some type of AI that, uh, how, how does that actually work? And does it work only when I'm um, committing the code or can it work while I'm actually doing the, creating the code? Um, so multiple questions. I'll try not to forget all, <laughs> no some worries. of them. So please, uh, um, <laughs> excuse me if I am. It just reminded yeah. me of uh, uh, some parts of it. So well, let's start at the, at the beginning of your question. Um, uh, first of all, uh, the, the, the actual way we are doing that is that you've mentioned like uh, known vulnerabilities, uh, which is, I would say this is the easy part because known vulnerabilities, it's very easy to detect many times. Uh, sometimes it's 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 a bit more tricky, but in general, known vulnerabilities, uh, we have this kind of information as well as we are adding context to those kind of code snippets and dependencies and understanding what what kind of how the code behaves and by the application graph itself. Um, so yes, we we are doing that, but on top of that, we are also understanding how uh, how the the com the different components that you actually wrote are behaving. Um, uh, uh, by, by themselves or interchangeably or maybe some kind of interactions between them. So we are actually parsing uh, not only the code, but also uh, the application, meaning that we are not looking just at the files itself, but we are connecting those dots to create an, an application graph. And by this graph, we, we understand once something is, being, is changed, we are understanding what is the impact of this kind of change. And we can present to you with insights what are the different Things that have been touched and what kind of material changes have been going through this kind of commit or PRs um, and uh, and or maybe on the repository itself, maybe some history of the repository. So and by that we can understand not only the known ones but also the unknowns. A classic example of that, but that by this kind of parsing, I just uh, say it very very swiftly before. But the actual way that you can right now with Apiro observe your inventory of code and understand what kind of uh, APIs, for example, are running on, on your code, what kind of dependencies your, road, uh, your code is dependent upon, uh, what kind of clusters you have, all of that together, it's something that I've never seen before, nowhere. Especially on the observability part, the, the, the big question of organizations today, one of them is, tell me about my APIs. I don't know about all of my APIs. I don't have one map that shows me what kind of APIs I'm exposing to the internet right now. And this is a, you would be maybe surprised to see that this is a very difficult challenge to say what are the known unknowns for me. The known unknowns usually vote for organizations is APIs that you, they don't have a full map of, mainly because the way that software are being, are being developer, developed over the past years, that our microservices are being introduced more and more into code, and someone uh, in the organization can add a microservice in a second, you won't be noticing it because it's very, very hard to track. And the way we are presenting that is unique by that we are parsing the code, we understand APIs, we understand how code is being written, this kind of frameworks and this kind of protocols, and we actually engineer our way in and have this kind of breadth of knowledge about your application much more than any any other person, architect, or software that you have right now. Awesome. Uh, let me ask you, so if somebody's using your, your tool set or your platform, is, when I say somebody, an organization, is this just, you know, something that your application security engineer is going to, you know, monitor on a day-to-day -day basis? Or is this something that goes enterprise-wide for all developers? Or, you know, how, do, how 
yeah, walk me through the the kind of like day to day usage. And um, what I'm so, saying is like is like is there like a dashboard that you know because like you know what I'm what what the picture that I'm getting is. Um, I'm going to get this signal. I'm going to get alerts. I'm going to get, you know, uh, I'm going to have, I'm understand how, you know, where, what, what APIs do, do have we already exposed? Um, and all that information, where does it sit? Does it sit for, you know, on one person's dashboard or is this something that, um, in, you know, anybody on the dev team can, can monitor? How, how does that work? Um, so there are multiple ways. I will try to simplify uh, the workflow, maybe to take some use case, some very, very common use cases that we see. Um, so first of all, uh, yes, this is a dashboard. You can connect to the system and can select dashboards. And, and by the way, this is the home page for you. The dashboard itself will give you a higher level uh, look at your organization and applications and risks that you have right now and even trending over time. Uh, but there are multiple ways to use the system wisely. Uh, when I say wisely, is first of all automatically, so you won't be needing this kind of one dashboard. The dashboard is very, very useful, but sometimes you would like to communicate something very, very fast. So we are connected to your ticketing system. We are connecting to any kind of instant messaging system, uh, to name a few, like Slack, Teams, etc. This is very, very common to see in software development. And of course, ticketing system is is no different. No one, ha everyone has any any some kind of a ticketing system, at least one ticketing system, in use. Uh, so we and, and and as I said, uh, instant messaging systems and other other security tools that you are using. So we intend to to um, have all all of this information in one place. So you'll be able to view all of this information in the dashboards that we have, and you can travel to applications, application groups. You can travel to any to the maps that we have, to the clusters that you have, to the inventories. Uh, but this is this is one way of using the system. So this is the use case, I would say, for a high level view uh, for maybe a CISO, a security uh, officer that would like to have a high level view of, of the organization state in terms of security. Uh, the other part is to utilize the system. This is the second use case to utilize the system in order to actually um, um, uh, tackle those kind of risks. So you can view the risks in, in many multiple ways. You can think of a table, but there are, there are different visualizations that best fit the, the use case that you have. Um, and by that, you are looking at the, uh, you are filtering and, uh, and have this kind of uh, cross sections of different uh, risks and maybe applications that you would like to focus on and to be tackling those kind of risks one by one or maybe in multiple batches and it depends on the what kind of risks we are batching together and clustering uh, and you have this kind of very fluid visibility of how to cross section uh, and filter uh, to, the, to your exact uh, uh, view uh, needs. Uh, the third one is as I said the automations that, that we are very very strong on uh, the automations itself uh, are going to present a new level of interaction with the system and the risks that you have. They can interject with, let's say, commits. The commits themselves, you don't need to wait to anyone to look at it if the system understands the code and, and see this kind of commits being pushed right now. The, uh, the, the actual automatic system can interject within the PR and commit on it and, excuse me, comment on it um, and and to suggest suggest alternative and maybe some educational material and point out to the most important things to know about the dangers and risks 
that the code can present in the case of this specific commit. Um, all together, the workflows themselves can be very, very smart. It can be sending messages all over instant messaging or email or different uh, and even uh, other uh, ways of communication. It can open up tickets. It can uh, uh, communicate with tickets and interact with it. Uh, and everything is very, very dynamic and and be, can be very much molded to your organization's need and processes. And this is the third use, use case, but it basically uh, is the uh, very important use case because our way of looking at it, it we don't, we are not adding to your, uh, 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 I would say, uh, full plate of risks uh, and alerts that you have on the system. We are showing you a way of utilizing uh, a system in a smarter way so you'll be able to be focused on your work and not be spread around uh, running over uh, other, um, uh, running for all of this information. Just for a quick, quick uh, example, let's say you have a, a commit with uh, risks. Now, on a normal, on normal uh, organization that um, that is traditional in its way and doesn't have a PRO, uh, will need to um, to look around to see who is the developer that have been committing this code, who is the, the, the architect of this repository, what kind of history have this kind of uh, code and file files that have been touched, what kind of material changes have been have been done, what kind of frameworks and technologies are, technology stacks are being involved into the application, and all what is maybe the history of the developer to learn more about it uh, about them, maybe they uh, and maybe their title and maybe their uh, they haven't, uh, let's say, you'd, we want to know if this developer is, have been educated in security. And all of that process can take hours, if not days, just to collect the information and then to contact those kind of developers and see, because the application security professional usually won't commit new code. They will contact developer and will try to fix the code with them. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a very laborious process that we are actually making a very, very sweet one, sweet one because you, you will have all of this information in one place. You won't need to run around. Uh, and as you said yourself, we have multiple uh, machine learning and data science algorithms that are in charge of developer behavior analysis and by that to, to attach all of those connections in terms of behavior altogether and also in parsing the code itself. So again, you will have this kind of very holistic but very concise way of looking at your risks in one pane uh, without the pain of looking at tens of thousands of uh, of items each time, but looking at one item at a time and understanding the criticality of it, the business impact of it, and how to remediate it very, very swiftly. That's awesome. Uh, you know, it's funny because there's a lot of tools out there that help with productivity or um, optimizing efficiency. And then there are a lot of other tools that um, focus on enhancing security. And Typically, the ones that enhance security don't help deliver to the ROI, and the ones that help to optimize efficiency don't help with security. What what I'm hearing from you is um, there's a there's both a cost and time savings here, but also an, a, a massive enhancement on the security front. So it it would look to me that um, you're in a great space and you, you've got <clears throat> a long runway of opportunity ahead of you. Um, let me just you know, because you're the VP of security research, let me ask you, where do you go? I mean, because clearly you're, you're a very deep subject matter expert here. Where do you go to keep ahead of what's, what's next, you know, and, and how do we guide our platform so that it's going to be in the right place for the kind of evolving threat landscape in the concept, 
concept of app, app, application security and development? Oh, wow. Um, so, so first of all, let, let me say that you framed it very, very eloquently. I think that this is exactly uh, the way to look at it. The productivity plus security doesn't mean that you need to um, you need to see security as something that is uh, a burden to you, but you see security as something that is fluent in enabling your business. Uh, now, to your question, uh, what, what I'm doing is that no, no different than any other application security professional. First of all, I'm learning from practice. I'm, I'm looking at the data. I'm researching the data. We are doing this kind of amazing research on uh, on different systems. We have published multiple of those research items like the Argo CD vulnerability uh, last February and uh, the secret report that we, we, are just we have just discussed. So researching this kind of information uh, in novel ways and to, uh, to look deeper into subjects is, is a very, very important aspect. The other one, the other uh, side of it is that learning from others. There are multiple communities, there are so many practitioners out there that are doing that day, day in and day out and are, are, making, uh, are making more than a dent into the world of application security. Uh, I'm, I'm and the, the whole research team is in close contact with many communities and many professionals, and part of them, part of them are, of course, our customers, um, that we are uh, engaging in conversation and understanding their, their pain and understanding what they are doing differently. And sometimes you will be, uh, we, we are amazed at what kind of progress uh, one person on, on our team uh, can be doing uh, in an organization because of a very novel way of looking at a problem. Uh, and by that, uh, to string it all together, we see those kind of trends. Uh, I won't say uh, naturally because nat nature is not that, that, is not that uh, gracious with uh, uh, trend setting. Uh, and we also know that this kind of tectonic, tectonic changes that are undergoing the cloud native application security right now are making a, a very much of a, of, a, of a splash, a very big splash into the application security paradigms. Uh, and so we are learning a lot from the field, we're learning a lot from our friends and communities that we are in very close contact with. Uh, I haven't mentioned, by the way, for example, um, um, government and military uh, together with uh, financial industries and insurance industries and gaming industries. And all of them have the same problem and they are tackling the, that very differently because the, those kind of industries have their own cadences and behaviors that need to be fitted through their pain. Uh, so this is not just an interesting uh, subject, but also a very passionate subject for everyone in these kind of arenas. So this is w how we see those kind of trends and we can foresee where, uh, because what kind of asks there are and we, we are there to fix that or to answer those kind of pains. So every time we see something, someone is, is talking about something with us, we are trying to connect the dots with, dots with other pains that we have seen before. And usually we can see this, those kind of trends um, uh, pretty accurately. Um, and to be able to spot them and then to enhance our systems a step before everyone else so we'll be able to uh, present those kind of solutions. Uh, before the trend really spikes. Well, I think that's some some very helpful information there. Uh, you had mentioned a couple times, and I'd asked questions about the research that you've recently done. Uh, is there a formal report or something that's available to um, the general public? Um, yeah, of course. Um, all you need to do is to go to apiro.com. This is A-P-I-I-R-O-I-I dot -I 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 com. 
Um, and you will see under the blog section, you will see all of the blogs and publications that we have. If you are interested in the security in the secrets report uh, or secrets insights report, uh, you will need to go to apiro.com slash secrets dash insights dash 2022 and you will get to the uh, actual report in in web website form or PDF, whatever you choose. Excellent. And I'll put links to both the website and the report, assuming that I can find it, which I'm pretty confident I can, since you just gave me the URL. But um, I'll put <laughs> links in the show notes, okay? Thank you very much. Well, hey, Moshe, I really appreciate your time. I, for me, it's uh, it's always challenging talking to somebody who's a deep subject matter expert in an area that I don't have that much experience but you've explained things in a way that even I could understand. Um, you've shared a lot of really, really valuable and important information. And again, I, I'm, I'm super impressed with uh, with the platform that uh, you and Apiro are developing. I mean, obviously, it's, it seems like a win-win on both sides. So I wish you and the rest of your team uh, an amazing second half of 2022. And thanks again for being on Secure Talk. Thank you very much, Mark. It was a pleasure. And thank you for the compliment. And uh, don't be too, too modest. You're awesome. Thank you very much. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.